I have nothing against gay people. I don't care. And that's actually another point I want to make into about this thing. I think most people don't care, and I think that bothers them. Have you ever had a, have you ever had an argument with a girl, and she's like stropping around the house, she's huffing and puffing, and you just don't give a shit? So she has to keep upping the ante till you eventually go, what's the problem? Because she tried the low-level stuff, and you didn't care? I kind of feel like this has a remnant of that. I'm gay, cool. I want to get married. I want to wave my dick in your kid's face. Whoa, 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 <laughs> It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I feel like they're like, they, they tried to annoy us and we're like, we don't give a shit. Do whatever you want, be a person, we don't what care. Point. And now they're like, okay, well, we have to get to a limit where they have to react. Yeah. We want attention now. We want them to care about What's this. the right move on that? Well, that's, and that's the point, you know, it's, it's difficult because there comes a point where you simply have to address it and so now you have to oppose it. And this is, sorry, sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but this is why they're so careful and so clever with what they do. They package it all together. LGBTQ, I would argue, I don't know what Q is, firstly. Sorry, I don't know what Q is. Questioning. Q, all right. LG, I would argue that G and T are very different things. Beyond. A gay man and a, someone who's chopped the dick off are very different things. Completely. So they package it all together, so now, because the, the spectrum of your enemy is so large, you have people who are complete, fully this way. Mm -hmm. You have people who we accept and are normal in society. We have no problem with gay people. And they put it all together. You're an enemy of all these people. And they complicate yeah. the argument and they mix it all together. And now you're a bigot. And really, you just want your kids to be left alone. Really, you just want to leave the children alone. Of course. All you want to do is leave your kids alone. And then it's like, okay, I'm now raising children. I have more children than most people would believe. How do I protect my children from this insanity? God. Which God can protect my children? Allah, Islam, I'll move them to Dubai or Saudi Arabia and none of this will happen. Can I trust a Christian nation? Some of them, Romania is a Christian nation and to a large degree, they oppose quite a lot of this stuff. But they're also NATO and they're also EU and they also rely on bailouts and grants and money. And on a long enough time frame, even in the seven years I've lived here, I have watched certain attitudes change because money buys influence and power. So Andrew, uh, not to cut you off, how much of you converting from Christianity to Islam is actually the belief in God versus the societal pressures that are facing it's children? Because it seems like it's a little bit of both. For you to believe in God, you have to respect him. How can I believe and put, the, put my life in the hands of someone I don't respect? And I'm going to respect a God which is feared. Yeah, but it's a vertical relationship, right? It's not a horizontal. If you base... Uh, if you base it horizontally, they're going to disappoint you. If you think about, uh, 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 if you're going to believe, let's go believe Prophet Muhammad, yeah. his teaching, and let's go believe the Bible, NIV, and Jesus, Father, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his, you know, yeah. you gave your son for me? Yeah. Let's say that's true, yeah. and you're doing it based on faith? Who would do such a thing for me? Yeah. What, a, what a level of sacrifice for you to do that. Who am I for you to be so worried about me. If you look at it from that angle, it's not necessarily coming from a place of fear. It's coming from a place of grace. It's coming from a, pl grace, a place of love. It's coming from a place of, Absolutely. you know, a, a, a different feel. Because I do believe uh, the, the part that upsets me is the fear aspect. That they're allowing others to mock your God, to mock, mock Jesus, to mock Whatever religion it is you're a part of, and you're kind of like, oh, they're just funny, man. It's no, it's not funny. You just cross the line. Like, JC has that one line where he says, don't tell me why you, the guy, yeah. what the guy said about me. Tell me why he was so comfortable saying it to you. 100%. You tell me why he said say it comfortable to you. So I think that's the part about uh, faith. I understand when you're saying the fear and the respect side. So th that's the part where fear is needed. I totally agree. Yeah. But the part where you, you were making a point about LGBTQ, you're like, I don't even know yeah. what Q stands for, it's questioning. And then you're like, well, I'm gay? Okay, cool. Yeah. Trans? Listen, man, yeah. spectrum. And he said, on the, if we were to say which religion is the far right, it's going to be yeah. Muslim. Yeah. Totally get it. They're on the far right. Christian today is kind of going center left today. Like they're kind of being soft right now. Okay. So if I want to raise my kids, I'm going to take my kids to you know, Dubai, and I'm going to take my kids to Saudi Arabia. Why? Because I'm defending against some of these immoral philosophies that they have. Yeah. I don't want to go there. I, I actually understand that argument. Yeah, and, and I truly, and I want to make one more point, I do believe there is one God, and I believe there's many different paths to God. 
And I'm not a religious scholar and I'm not an expert on Islam. I'm doing my best and I'm reading the Quran as, as often as I can. And it does say that Christians on the day of reckoning will see how close they were to the truth. And we are, we are allies. We are not enemies in any regard, Christians and Muslims. And I do believe that the idea of Christians and Muslims shaking hands and saying, let's put an end to a lot of this garbage would be fantastic. I'm not anti-Christian in any regard. I just found myself as I became more and more religious, seeking and looking for a faith which not only I could be proud of, but a faith which was guiding in regards to I don't know what a Christian would answer to certain questions nowadays. What does a Christian answer to? I'm a transsexual and I want to show your kids my genitals. What's a Christian? Well, a Christian's supposed to say no, do they? I know what my, I know what my Muslim friends would say. I, I don't know. If you're a Christian, I don't know how you're supposed to act. I don't know what you're supposed to adopt. I don't get it anymore. The true believer says The true no. believer. The true, the true believer. believer. Yeah. But how many are true believers? In, I, mean, I don't know. I see all over Twitter, all these churches are losing their minds. I, it's, it's just, it seems very complicated. Islam seems very, very simple. You know what's right, you know what's wrong. I have a question uh, regarding, we talked about tolerance yeah. and acceptance. And the other end of that is extremism. Yeah. So I'm a Jew, yeah. Christian, newfound Muslim, yeah. respect, look at us all yeah. hanging out here. Yeah, in the beginning of a joke somewhere. You know, so <laughs> I, you know, we're talking about accepting yeah. the, I have gay friends, yeah. I have lesbian friends, yeah. bisexual. Yeah. The tea stuff is what, it's yeah. kind of like, all right, what's actually even happening here? You know, I'm not a, yeah. this is not my wheelhouse nor any of our wheelhouses, yeah. but one could argue that, you know, on the, on the opposite end of the acceptance and the yeah. tolerance is absolute extremism. Yeah. And I'm sure the allies of the LGBT will point to Islam and point to the Middle Eastern countries and yeah. point to the North African countries that have Islam as their religion and say they are the most extreme when it comes to LGBT. They say that it should be illegal yep. to be gay. And in some countries, you should be killed if you are gay. Super this is just, I'm just pointing you're out right. stats. You're right, and it's a super interesting argument because I will, I will sit here and say that I guarantee in most Islamic countries, there are gay people, and I guarantee that they have gay relationships and nobody cares as long as they're not trying to inflict on the children. It's illegal to walk down the street and do indecent things in front of children. But I guarantee if you were gay in a lot of these countries, privately. no, privately, nobody would care because they're trying to preserve the family unit. And to a degree, you have to always protect innocence. When you were talking about extremism, I would be friends with a gay person. Yes, I'm a Muslim, but I would be friends with a gay person because if a full-grown man decides to make a decision, it's his decision to make. But I must protect innocence as a man, so I must protect children. If two, two full-grown men decide to have a fight, let them fight. If a full-grown man decides to pick on a kid, that's unacceptable. So I must protect innocence. Mm -hmm. So I agree with the extremism point, but I have no problem with full-grown men doing what they want to do. Maybe some Islamic scholars are going to watch this and get mad at me. I don't have a problem being gay, with gay people and being friends with a gay person. I don't care. My problem is when you take a person who is unarmed, who is innocent, who is programmable like a child, and start inflicting your worldview on them. That is disgusting and it's immoral. That is unfair and it can't be accepted on any level. And that's the reason homosexuality is genuinely outlawed in these countries. Not because they fear what two full-grown men are going to do. They fear what's happened in the West. So two full-grown men are going to purport on the minds of children which aren't theirs. That's what they're afraid of. You know, I don't know if you saw the interview. Uh, CNN uh, is interviewing this uh, in Africa. And I have the video. I don't want to play the video. Obviously oh, the, the, le the leader. Yes, and the he's leader. talking about democracy. He says democracy. He says, look, you can do whatever you want to do. He says, what do you think about gays? And his reaction was like, what do you mean? What they do, I don't, think, I don't agree with what they do. Yeah. You think that's okay? Anyways, he's given his argument, yeah. right? And the lady's reaction is like, how could you? Yeah. says, look, you keep your beliefs to you. Do not bring it to our country here, right? Uh, the, the, the challenge goes back to, remember how you're like the girl that you're dating? is like, so what happened? I asked you to bring the oranges from the store. How come you didn't bring it? Yeah, I, I forgot. Hey, so how about this? And you know, that's why you love your mom more than you love me? And, that, and you're like, oh, shit, are you going to go around them? And now there's a fight, right? Okay. Well, is the mistake being too tolerant from the beginning? Is the mistake being too accepting from the beginning? Is the mistake of, you know, you, you know like the, the fear when I talk to Second Amendment guys and the fear about, well, you know, what's wrong with them doing background checks? What's wrong with them doing this? He says, look, that's, that's how it starts. You give them the background checks, then they're going to come for everything. Oh, you're over-exaggerating. No one's coming for your guns. Well, you also said 20 years ago, Hillary Clinton, marriage is between a man and a woman, and the sanctity of marriage 20 years later. So that is the fear where one must watch this as a case study. Say somebody starting a new country and saying, look, here's where we stand. 
These are the laws we're not touching. We're not gonna be doing X, Y, Z. You've been too tolerant and now you're paying a price for it and now you're reacting to it. And that's exactly why you completely nailed it. If you give an inch, they take a mile. And that's why I think in a lot of these countries, they have an official, it's officially illegal. They're actually quite tolerant of it, more than you'd believe. I'm telling you, you can go to Jordan and your waiter will be a bit fruity, you can tell. Nobody cares, nobody cares, nobody gives a shit, right? But they have it officially illegal to prevent it ever bleeding out into actually affecting the mindset of society. You can do what you want, you're a full-grown man, but society is based on family, traditional family values. That's how our society is based. That's how we show ourselves to the world, and that is not going to be affected or changed. I was going to say, that's yeah. why you see the, the, you talk about the collapse of Western society, specifically America. You see a decline in values. Wall Street Journal came out with that article that said family values plummeting, religion plummeting, uh, being a social, uh, being community organizer plummeting. Everything's plummeting in America other than money. People are... Uh, focusing on money. Minect is an application which allows you to take a minute to connect with influencers from all around the world. My name is Andrew Tate, and I'm available to speak directly to you on Minect. So, so it's interesting while you're, while you're talking about this whole religion thing, while you're in, who has reached out to want to support? We talked about this last time briefly. Yeah. Uh, uh, being a Muslim yourself, have some of the most powerful Muslims reached out, trying to help out, figuring out a way to get you out? Yeah, absolutely, they certainly have. And also the amount of mail I got from Muslims around the world was completely incredible. When I was in the cell with Tristan, he even said, he said, well, I'm Christian, nobody's written to me. <laughs> yeah, so it was kind of amazing the support we, that you have from the, the brotherhood and you certainly feel part of the family and I've had a lot of support from them as a whole. Um, it was Ramadan at the time I was in jail, so my first Ramadan was in jail. So that was certainly interesting because you eat when the sun goes down. And my meal came when the sun was up. So I'd have to cover it up and try and hide it from cockroaches and wait for the sun to go down and then eat it cold by myself. But I felt like, you know, if you're going to do it the first time, you may as well jump in the deep end and do it hard. So I, I did that and that was an experience. And jail as a whole, I mean, there's so many stories I can tell. There's so many different ways I, I remember it. There were times I laughed. I will sit and say some of the best days of my life were in jail. Get out of here. Yeah. And some of the worst days of my life were in jail. But there were days where me and Tristan, when we were finally in the same cell, there's times we laughed like we've never laughed before. I'll sit and, and, and admit that's absolutely not really true. I feel like if you're going to be the kind of person who strives for an exceptional life, which is what I am, I think I'd be a coward if I said I want an exceptional life, but I only want it to be exceptional in a good way. I don't think that's genuine. I want an exceptional life. And exceptional means away from the norm. And away from the norm means flying your Bugatti on a jet to Dubai and taking your own plane to meet it there. And it also means a Romanian dungeon with cockroaches on New Year's Eve. They're both exceptional experiences. And the times I was with my brother and it was just him and I, we truly had some genuine days where we laughed like we always laugh. Me and him laugh and have fun on a private jet and we laughed and had fun in a Romanian prison cell because that's just who we are. And I also have to give my brother some credit while we're here. I would like to state that I absolutely genuinely believe I have the best brother in the world. And I'll tell you why. I always knew I had the best brother in the world, but he proved it in jail, and I'll tell you why. My brother was put in jail for being my brother. He hasn't said any videos. He hasn't said anything on the internet. He hasn't said any of the things I've supposedly said. He's never, the Matrix isn't attacking him. The BBC doesn't print about him, nothing. Why was Tristan Tate in jail? because it's Tate brothers. So they just took him and threw him in a cell. Now what's interesting is, when I got out of jail, so many people near me got heat. All business partners got heat with the tax, they got hit with like a tax paperwork and uh, they were calling everyone who's ever known me and ex-girlfriends got heat and all these people got heat. And some people complained, some people didn't. But some people were like, oh, since you've been in jail, it's been so stressful for me, the media's outside my house. I'm like, stressful for you? I was in jail. What do you want me to do? And people were complaining at me. And as these people start to complain, I sat there, I said to Tristan, you got thrown in jail purely for being my brother and never for a fraction of a second did you even moan. Didn't even, not even for a fraction of a second did he say, oh, they only put me here because of you. Why am I here? I, I'm innocent. This has nothing to do with me. Nothing. In fact, he said the absolute opposite. He said, I am so glad I went to jail with you. Hmm. I would be furious if they sent you here by yourself. If they're gonna lock you up, they better lock me up. And there was a time, about two months in, because there's less media pressure on Tristan, they were talking about releasing Tristan first. And he was saying, no, I won't leave without Andrew. Going down with the ship. I won't leave unless my brother leaves. Wow. I won't leave. 
And he was telling the guards, I won't leave. Keep me here. I'm not leaving. And they said the Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Judge says you have to leave, you have to leave. He goes, then I'll stand outside the gate. I'll sleep outside. I ain't leaving this jail. And our lawyer said, well, we can make an appeal to just release you because there's less media scrutiny around you. And Tristan's like, no. Andrew's in jail. I'm in jail. Refused to leave. He was adamant he had to stay. That's a brother for me. And it was the same for me. I said to Tristan, if they came into me and said, Andrew, go home, I'd be like, no, no way. Tristan's in jail, I'm in jail. We're in jail together. He never for a second complained, never bitched, never moaned. And he was only in jail for being my brother. And then I come out and there's other people, oh, they sent me a piece of paper, blah, blah, blah. You're, you're moaning? It's unbelievable. You truly learn, like I said, jail confirms everything you already knew about the world. And you truly learn who's on your side and who isn't. And that's good to learn, but it's, it's actually crazy. The, also, the, the larger psychological analysis of it all, everyone lives inside their own minds, right? So it's, it's kind of crazy. I came out of jail and the, some of the first messages I got from people was them complaining about the problems me being in jail had given. Like, you think that wouldn't happen, right? You think, oh, you come out of jail, people would be like, oh, are you okay? They're like, oh, you're okay? You're out now? Okay, yeah, well, listen, Mo, you'd be amazed. You'd be amazed. And I'm like, I was in jail. What do you want me to do? Yeah, that sounds unfortunate. I was in your jail cell. What do you want me to do about it? It's kind of crazy how much everyone's kind of self-interested. So it's been a, a learning curve and you learn a lot about a lot of different people and your circle gets smaller. And uh, I think that's probably one of the reasons God put me in there to just learn a lot and, and make my circle smaller. And you just have to listen to him and pay attention to it and say, okay, right, you're off, you're off, you're off, you're on, you're on, you're on. Mm -hmm. But my brother, I have to give him credit because I tell you, I also think me and Tristan are one of the best teams in the world because we have different roles inside of our brotherhood. My role is to be concerned and to panic not panic, that's the wrong word, I never panic. My role is to be concerned and try and fix the problem. I'm in jail, pacing up and down, how do we get out? And Tristan's role is to not care. And together, that helps us achieve the objective best because when we really need to get out, I'm in charge. <laughs> I, his, role, his role is to not care. Sometimes, when it, was, when it was at the height of frustration, I needed his superpower. Tristan's superpower, and this is his superpower for life, is he is the master of not giving a fuck. We would go to court. We would go to court. Imagine this, you're in jail, right? Weekends were the worst because the TV was worse on weekends for some reason. Like you had, you had like three channels and the TV, the weekends were the worst and you could hear out the window everyone having fun. I hated weekends. So when a Friday would roll around, I'd say, okay, Tristan, we just have to zen away the weekend. And on Monday, there's court. We just have to zen away the weekend. So for the weekend, we just sit there staring at the wall. Intrusive thoughts, can't sleep, all those things you're trying to get out your brain, just sitting in silence because the room's tapped, just staring at the wall, just staring at the wall. And you think Monday would never come. And Monday would eventually come, right? Or Sunday night comes, and 8 a.m. on Monday, they're gonna take you to court, and they might let you go home. They might let you go home, you've done nothing. This person in this room can decide if you go home. And it's Sunday night and you can't sleep and you're awake all night long. There's no clock but you just, you just, the seconds feel like hours. You're just sitting there. Eventually, AM comes. Put you in handcuffs, walk you to the court. You walk in there. Everyone speaks Romanian. Don't have a clue what's going on. Everyone's just talking at each other in Romanian. Then they say, you'll get the answer in three hours. Go back to jail. When I went back to jail, I was sitting in the room. I was like, do I pack to go home? No, that's too optimistic. Okay, but you're nervous. You're like, you're anxious. Am I gonna go home? Is it over? Do I get to go home? I called the lawyer. Do you have an answer yet? No, no answer yet, okay sitting there, I can barely sit still. Tristan finishes court, walks straight into the room. It's a matrix attack, it's bullshit, I'm going to sleep. And went to bed, <laughs> clean asleep. I was like, how the fuck are you asleep? He didn't care at all. God, he that. just went straight to bed. And then when he woke up like six hours later, matrix attack, I'm like, yeah, you thought so. And just rolled back over, didn't care. But it's perfect for a guy like you. But that's what you need. I need that. I agree. Because if I had someone else next to me as hyped as me, I would have gone insane. I agree. I need someone like yeah. him who's just like, he had the superpowers like, bro, I love jail. Jail's great. Look, we got coffee. <laughs> I love jail. None of my women are messaging me. I love jail. Truth, I mean, I, I'm telling you, 
I had 45 minutes on the phone a day and I used all of my minutes. Tristan never made a single phone call from jail. Get out of here. Not one. I was like, Tristan, do you want to speak to anyone? Nah. Sit there watching Romanian news. Didn't give a shit. Like bulletproof. But the only reason he's so bulletproof that way is because he knows I'm doing the absolute best the other way. He couldn't be that way if I wasn't trying to get us out because then he would try to get out. You, like need, you, need, you need the yin and yang. So like when, I, when, we, when, I, when it was chill time, it was his mental frame. And when it was, atta- how do we get out of here? It was yeah. my mental frame. But Tristan's superpower genuinely is genuinely not, genuinely not caring. I can't explain the level of how much he didn't, it didn't affect him. He didn't bother him at all. I didn't see him sad, nothing, he was smiling. He didn't care. You consider yourself a stoic. How much more stoic is he than you? I just think we have different roles and I think we've evolved into them over the time because it's not just jails with everything. That's what we are with everything. If, if there's a business problem, I'm the one who's like, shit, we have to fix this now, shit, shit. And Tristan's the one like, Andrew, you are so ridiculously rich, chill. But we need that. We need both, right? But he couldn't be that chilled if I wasn't the way I was because he wouldn't be successful. Totally. So you, need, you need the opposites. Yeah. So everyone goes, oh, you and your brother are so close. We're so close because we're actually very different people. But yeah, he, he was amazing in jail. And even afterwards, I, I still struggle to sleep. He sleeps fine. Because I think my experience of jail was a far more stressful one. Because I, but I adopted that. Now, I'm not saying I couldn't have done what Tristan did. I could have done what Tristan did. If I were to go into jail and say, your MO is to not care, I could not care. But my MO was, how do I get out of this matrix attack? So I, I was the most stressed I've ever been in my life. So that's carried over. So I don't sleep. He sleeps fine. But he slept fine in jail. So why wouldn't you sleep fine now, right? So yeah, it was, uh, it was interesting, but I have to give him props because it's, it's amazing to have that level of clarity. And he, and he said things which were absolutely not really true, things I already knew, but it was nice to hear. I, I wanna ask you a question on this. So I have two boys, yeah. right? And one day they're gonna watch this. They're not gonna watch it right now, they're 11, yeah. nine, but they're one they're gonna watch yeah. this, right? Uh, and in school, you know, I'll go and, and the kids that are, you know, 11, 12, 13, they're like, you're, you're Andrew Tate, you know, how was that interview? Oh my God. So 11 year old kids are watching these types of content, but that's pretty wild where they're at. But here's a question about brothers. There's a lot of brothers out there. As a father, there's certain principles I'm teaching them, yep. okay? One, if you can speak from the idea of how your bond was built based yep. on a man, yep. your father, yep. Emery, yep. injecting certain values and principles on the two of you. Yep. You guys better do this. I don't want to see this. Yep. And then which part of the code did you guys create? Because there's friendship, yeah. but there's brotherhood. There's a yeah. very different story. Absolutely. How, how was that developed? Yeah, so my father, and I have endless stories about my father, a lot of people who dislike me would call him an extremist. I don't think he was an extremist. I truly believe I had the best father on the planet. And from a very young age, he made it clear. He said, look, you're Tates and you're gonna have enemies. You're gonna have people who are against you. Your best bet is to be a team. So whenever me and Tristan would fight, which happened, we got put in a room together and we had to sit in that room, and my dad would say three hours or four hours in silence. He'd sit us down in the room, here, here, looking at each other, and say, if I hear a noise, I'm starting the time again. And we'd have to just, imagine you know when you're a kid and you fight and you're furious and you're so mad, and then you end up sitting across from the person you hate. Silent. Because you make a noise, dad gets mad. And dad's outside, right? So just sit there, two hours, don't make a noise. We had to stare at each other. And over time, we thought every time Dad was home, we just stopped fighting because it wasn't worth it just sitting in this isolation, weird, silent stare thing. <laughs> because that's what happened on repeat. It happened like five times and we just stopped fighting. We'd literally, we'd fight all the time when Mom was home. And when Dad would come home, we'd literally just look at each other like truce. Like, we can't, we, didn't wanna, we don't want to sit and do this thing we had to do. Yeah. So we became a team. And then I think it evolved from there because there's always been a hierarchy. I am the older brother. I'm the bigger brother. He does respect me for that. We both have opinions, but... You know, it can, be, it can be vetoed by me in the end. And we have our specific roles. My specific role is I'm, I'm the one who takes the most action. I'm the one who over worries. I believe, especially in business and many other things, I say it to all my staff, I say react, I said react fast, react early, like panic early, like panic now. I don't believe in waiting for things. It's just not who I am. I can give you a million different examples. If, if, if my email processor, this happened just before my cancellation, said, oh, we'll put your account under review you'll have an answer in 72 hours. As soon as I get that email, within three minutes, I'm like, get a new one, get a new one. I've never waited for anything in my life and it worked. I've never waited and it worked out fine. 
ever. Every time it should cancel, every time it should delete it, every time someone like, no, get a new one now, get, just get a new one. I need today's email now, get a new one. We can't get a new one, no one will accept us, build one. So in a day we built our own. Like I'm the panic fast and early guy. Tristan's the complete opposite and that makes us a, a perfect synergy and I, I super need him and I need his energy. Especially in jail, man, he was fantastic in jail. He was like, Andrew, I'm like, what? He goes, if when you were 18, they told you you could be one of the richest, most famous men on earth, with street cred in every single city that knows how to speak English. All you had to do was sit in jail for two months. Would you have taken it? He's like, yeah. He goes, and what the fuck do you care for? <laughs> so true. No, we're taking that. He goes, and then he used to say that, what kind of man hasn't been to jail? That's what he's saying. He's saying, what kind of man hasn't been to jail? He loved jail. He was loving it all the time. He goes, what kind of man hasn't been to jail? Of course I'm in the jail. I'm just a tail. Of course I go to jail. Like he didn't care. And his energy was amazing to tap into. But we both understand that we, neither of us could be us without the other one's polar. And that's why we live together. That's why we'll always live together. I've had a lot of like, women try and say, why do you still live with your brother? Why don't you want to live with me? And I try and explain to them that, one, I don't think I can be my most competitive without him. Two, I'm most emotionally stable with him. I like the idea. I'm most competitive with him. I'm, I, I'm my best version of me. If it doesn't matter if I have to go into a fight, doesn't matter if I have to run a business, I'm better with Tristan by my side than I would be by myself. And three, my ideal family life, even my ideal family, the way I live my life now, is very much more like a clan than a nuclear family. I like me, my girl, my kids, Tristan, his girl, his kids, my cousin, his girl, his kids. I like this idea of lots of people. I like that. I like that feeling. So a girl says to me, well, you don't want a family. Like, no, I want a family bigger than you want. I just don't want to just sit with you. I want a lot of people around me, and I think it's better for that, and I think it's better for the children especially also. I think they enjoy it more. But yeah, I've got the best brother on the planet. I truly do. And um, this is why I'm saying some of our best days of our lives are in jail. I was going to ask you that. You guys live here in this compound. It's an amazing place. I was going to ask you. You kind of just answered it. But you foresee yourself living with your brother the rest of your life. thousand percent. thousand percent. I can't imagine not wanting to live with Tristan. If you want privacy, you have privacy, right? We have a big house. So yeah, it is what it is. on one wing, yeah, it's it on the other it wing. It is what it is. But I can't imagine him not being around. If there's a problem, I just shout his name. Or I just can't imagine it. And, and I know I'm my best self. Also, there's the overall, the overall male competition, the masculine competition that exists between us and between all men. So we live currently here. We've got me, my brother, my brother's personal trainers here. We've got camera guys here. We've got war room guys here. We've got loads of guys here, but I can give you a million examples. There was a record set next door of a gym and there's a stair machine and there was a record set of 188 floors within a time frame. I came along and smashed it with 198. I only held the record for 45 minutes because someone beat it with 202. As soon as the record's beaten, everyone gets pissed off and puts their trainers on, puts their shoes on. As soon as it's beaten, everyone gets mad. Who beat it? Who beat it? And everyone goes and did it. And, and that's how you push yourself to the level you never thought you'd be able to push yourself. 202? 202 floors in 30 minutes. <laughs> Good luck. No, no, minutes. no. He, that's what that was beaten with. Now it's 222. It's been beaten again. I don't know if I'll ever get to that. But I, I'm still 198. I've got to try again. But the point is, when you have men around you, there's that natural masculine competition. And that's what drives you. If you're going to be the best version of yourself, even if you're a boxer training for a fight, you train with a team. You train with other that's boxers. True. You train with other boxers or other trainers. If you're... A football, if you're on a football team, you're pushed by your team. I think life should be the same, right? If, imagine you took the normal average man and you moved him into a house of five people and you had a philosopher and a fitness expert and a hypnotist, whatever it was. These will be, that will make him a more competitive person overall because he's trying to compete with all the other people who are on his level. You don't want to take bitch position. So I, I don't like the idea of my life without masculine competition. That's why I'll always live with my brother. And if you met a girl one day who says, Tate, I want to have, have your babies live with you, but it's kind of weird that your brother's here, what would you say to her? Yeah, a few of them have said that. I offer some degree of compromise. I'm like, look, we can have our own house separate if you really want, but I'm going to be spending a lot of time at that other house, including nights over. I want to stay with where my brother is. So you wouldn't compromise is. a little bit, but he's going to be living next door or with you. 100%. One of and I don't think, and that may be unusual in the Western world. I don't think that's unusual in many places. I love that, by the way. Well, you talk Just about so this you, all the time. Oh, you don't even know yeah. how much I love that. Yeah, I love that. To me, as a kid, that was a dream. Like, if you could, you know, write next to each other, uh, live next, there's a family in our community uh, billionaire family. They live right next to each other. The, the oldest son has the biggest house, 12,000 square feet. 
Then the youngest son has the second biggest house, 8,000 square feet, and the parents live in a 6,000 square foot house right next to Absolutely. each other. Absolutely. Okay? The two boys have four kids. The eight kids are always together. Absolutely. What a great environment. Absolutely. It's a dream environment. Absolutely. I, I, I can't see how a person wouldn't buy into that, the benefits of it. And, and, and there's also benefits to the relationship because I, I think you have a better relationship with your woman if she can go and talk with other women and be with women and I'm with guys and, and then you're together sometimes and you can split it up. It's better for everybody. This whole idea of, the, of, of just man, woman, boom, child, bang, I understand where it's come from. I'm not saying it's all typically bad, but I do think that in those scenarios, there's a lot of men who are particularly miserable, particularly men especially. And the idea of a clan and having that team around you, I love that. I wouldn't live any other way. I love living that way. Well, being born and raised in Miami, there's a lot of Latin culture there. Yep. And, you know, the American friends, they just move out, move on their own. That's what they do. But in Latin culture, the abuela's living in the house, the family's living in there, the, the, the women are all kind of congregating well, we yeah, together. We could also it's a different world. We can also discuss it financially, right? If, if, if you're a man and a woman and you have three boys and they're, let's say, traditional Western, whatever, they all go and pay three different rents and they all move in with their girlfriends and everyone's getting wrecked, right? If you all mm -hmm. stay together and combine your income, you also do much better financially. This is how a lot of immigrants even survived, especially Muslim immigrants in England. I've heard you tell the story about that. Absolutely. Yeah, they all stay together in one big house. They all pool their incomes. You have a bunch of people with average jobs and Ferraris on the drive. And then they buy the house they're in. Then they buy another. You pool the incomes. If you all split and separate and just spread out, you're just paying all different rents, all different electricity bills, and you just go broke. You have to think of the last name and the generation and the clan as a whole. So yeah, I love the idea of living with my brother. I'll never live without him. And it, yeah, his woman can move in, of course. His kids can be around me, of course. I'm uncle, why not? I, I have no problem with that. That's a dream. Let's, let's transition to a couple other topics. So um, I saw a video by the president of Microsoft, Brandon. I think it was the president of Microsoft who said, you're gonna see one of the biggest threats in the future being deep fakes, okay? Mm. And then you saw a similar thing being said by Google, Sergey Brennan, you're gonna see what's gonna happen with deep fakes. And then the example of deep fakes was given by the actress from Wonder Woman, what's her name? Uh, Gal, uh, Gal Gadot. Gal Gadot, right? There was a deep fake porn made of her, then there was a deep fake uh, video made of Trump, then there's deep fake of Joe Rogan, there's one of Morgan Freeman, hi. I am not Morgan Freeman. Kind of goes like this. Wow. So the direction we're going with deep fake, right? When it comes down to AI, yeah. where do you see the threat? Is that something you, you think about? Is that something you see as an opportunity, as a threat? And if yes, which part of it? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Deep fakes are certainly going to change the world because what we're going to have is we're going to have a post-truth society. And then the only way they're going to be able to tell you what's true or not is some committee which decides what's true and what's a deep fake. And then they're going to be in charge of the world. And then they're going to lie to you and then you're really in trouble. <laughs> so that's gonna be very interesting. Once you get to the point where, what did I say earlier about not being able to trust your own eyes? They're gonna take that away from us soon. Then what? Then you're really in trouble. Um, in regards to AI, I think it has to be adopted. Inside of my school, Hustlers University, we teach AI with absolutely everything. A lot of the images we generate, even on my Twitter account, is all AI. And what's actually scary about the modern world is, I don't consider myself old, I'm 36, but some of the children, children, I call them children, 17, 18 year olds inside of my school, Hustlers University, they're, AI wizards, and they can do magic with this stuff. Magic. Like, they can literally, genuinely, Andrew Tate on the moon, and the image is generated in seconds. Like, artists are going out of business. I thought AI would put truck drivers out of business. Artists are going out of business. Musicians are going out of business. It's kind of scary. I do like to think that with things like AI, there's always gonna be some degree of natural separation between the men who are genuinely inventive and killers and the men who are more let me change the way I say that. I think if you're an exceptional person, a truly exceptional person, you don't have to be afraid of nearly anything. But may, you'll probably agree with this. In my experience, in nearly every business in the world, you have 10% killers, and then you have a bunch who want the paycheck. They do their job, but I wouldn't say they're killers. You understand? Mm -hmm. And we, we live in a society for a long time where I can even, I can even tell you now, sometimes when I hire, I'll say to, to my cousin or to my, my COO, I'll say, look, either get one killer or three normal people. Because that's the reality, that's the basic, you either need three people to half do the job or you need one killer to do the job. And I think that those three people who half do their jobs, enough to not get fired, they turn up most of the on time, but they're not really that motivated. Those are the ones who have to fear AI. I think businesses in the, near, in the medium term are gonna become killers in AI. I tell them now, I have some, some guys who work for me on one particular company and their sales staff. I was reading through the sales scripts, the killers doing really well. But the average guys have said, you're not doing much better than ChatGPT could do right now. 
I want to warn you that you're not doing much better than I could replace you with a machine today, let alone in five years from now, for free. You need to be careful. So I think it's just becoming more and more competitive. The idea that you can just be Joe Schmo, do your job, turn up, I don't try that hard, it's fine. I think that's all gonna go out the window because as the world becomes more competitive, as a company, you have to compete with your competitors and the only way you're gonna be able to do that is just where do you cut the flat fat? Where do you cut the flat? When I see AI popping up and getting more and more intelligent in the way it's talking, that doesn't scare me. But I have a way with words. If I was Joe Schmo, I'd be afraid. <laughs> This chat GPT can probably text your girl better than you can. He'll <laughs> <laughs> probably, probably get laid faster it's than a you little will. advice for the guys out there yeah, right now. Just plug it into your GPT phone. It'll thing. do better than you do. <laughs> <laughs> so that's scary, you know? That's and hilarious. I, I, I think that's what the, the, the average man really needs to struggle. And I've been saying this has been my message for a very long time in all realms. I've said for a very long time that life for the average man is going to get harder and harder. It's becoming more and more competitive. You need to find more and more ways to stand out and be unique. And the only way to really do those things, unfortunately, as a man, is to suffer. And that's one of the reasons I'm kind of glad that God put me in jail. Because if you look at anything that builds a man into a man, there's a degree of suffering. It's very hard to become a man and have a man who's uh, respected and has stories and is capable when he only had a nice life and nice experiences. It's usually the things that made you the best version of you are usually the worst things that happened to you. So the demons I carry from jail, the fact that I can't sleep, the fact that I can't sleep, I've had girls say to me, you can't sleep, you need to see a psychiatrist. And I said, absolutely not. I would be furious if a psychiatrist walked in here and took my demons from me. I don't care if they could fix me with a click, they're mine. And they were bestowed to me by God. And they are mine to deal with and they are mine to fix because that's how I become a better version of me. I would be furious if someone took them away from me. I'm glad I can't sleep. Good, I can train endlessly. That's why I'm bigger than I've ever been. I'll train every, I'm not going to waste a minute. But all the demons that have been given to me by God and all the problems that have been given to me by God are mine to fix. I would never, ever allow anybody else to take them from me. I'd be furious. Mm -hmm. If a psychologist came in and said I could cure you, I'd say, no, thank you. I will cure myself. I don't care if it takes 10 years. I'll cure myself. That's my job. And I know that when that's done, I will be more mentally resilient than I ever would have been without you. That's the whole point of it, right? So many men say, I want to be the man, but they don't want to suffer. They don't want to fight. And I don't understand why, because even if you look at a superhero movie, they tell you, even in superhero movies, they make it very clear. Batman's parents died. That's why he's Batman. All the bad things have to happen. There's no way to get there without the bad things. I get so many emails from people complaining about their bad things, and I, I don't have time to reply to any of them, but if I could, I'd say, good. Good luck, congratulations, off you go. Of course she broke your heart. Of course you're sad, of course you miss her. She's with me now. That's life, that's part of it. That's the only way you're gonna get to that level of resilience. You can't become the man any other way. So yeah, I, I, I thank God for everything bad that's ever happened to me and, and all the demons, and I, I trust that he's not going to give me anything I cannot, in the end, decipher and deal with. In the end, I think it's a puzzle, and you decipher it, and you work out the best way to deal with it, and you internalize the good parts, and you become a better and stronger and more resilient person for it. Mm -hmm. So I have to thank God for every single one of them. Well, I mean, you got to go through shit to be the shit. That's basically what it is. And, and by, the way, by the way, what you're saying is not a hypothetical. You talk about being the average man. You see this play out on dating apps these days. Have you seen what's happened, especially on Instagram and yeah. on all the dating apps, Hinge, Bumble, yeah. and out there? The top guys out there yeah. are getting 90% of the women, whereas the bottom guys, I think the stats are a third of men under 30 have not been laid in a year. If being average is not acceptable anymore. At, at all. It's not acceptable anymore. And it's not, it's not acceptable in the sexual marketplace, but it's also just not acceptable, I don't think, even in life anymore. Period. You have to diversify now so much to even protect yourself. The idea that you can just be a law-abiding citizen in a country and just work your job and be okay is gone. It's gone. If COVID doesn't prove that, I don't know what will. Yeah. Look at my situation. You have to diversify. You have to be smart enough that you have assets and friends and, and, and capability and, and lawyers and whatever all over the world now. That's the only way to protect yourself. You can't just sit within jur one jurisdiction and go, oh, well, but I don't speed, so it's going to be okay. I don't think it is. I think it's coming to a point where it's not going to be okay. And AI is going to make it harder and harder again for those average men. It's going to be harder and harder. I don't think the exceptional men are ever going to suffer from AI. I think we're going to use AI. You think this whole neural link that uh, Elon Musk just got the approval for, for the patent. So now the sale is going to be, look, no matter what you do, John, you will never be like Andrew Tate. Yeah. But if yeah. you take Scary. this neural link, GT500 slash Tate, you're able to get upgraded to his levels and think like him and I'll think and do this and do that for only $49,000. You scary. put this chip in your head it's and we'll scary. offer this to you. My mother always says to me, I'm glad I'm not young. 
And I'm starting to say that now. I'm glad I'm not young. Because I'm telling you, it's going to be scary, right? Because the world is hyper-competitive. Every single thing in the world is competition. I don't think people realize I'm a hyper-competitive person because I understand that every single thing I want, somebody else wants. The girl I want, other people want. The car I want, other people want. The house I want, other people want. The lifestyle, the jet. Every single thing you want, somebody else wants. It's a massive competition. Yep. As a man, you have two choices. You either accept that it's a massive competition and try and play the game, or you just try and pretend it's not a competition and live in perpetual failure. And it's going to become hyper-competitive, the world already is, you're not going to be able to compete with a person with a computer brain. So you're going you're to have to have it because you can't compete. And then once you have it, then who knows? Can they turn it off? I don't know. Can they turn you off? I don't know. Can they inject the slave mind programming directly through the chip? I don't know. That's scary. I, I would never want to do that. But it's going to get to a point where you're not even a person without it. You can't function without it. You're a second-class citizen without competition it. Then, what happens to competition then? Is it going to be whoever has access to the best uh, technology, whoever has the most recent upgraded version of XYZ Neuralink chip? Absolutely. It's going to become scary. I'm glad I'm not young. I hope it doesn't happen while I'm alive. I don't know. It's going to be, it's going to be an interesting world. Does it, does it inspire you to want to have more kids or are you like, that's indifferent. I'm going to have the kids. I'm not worried about that. I think, yeah, I, I think they, I think in the 1700s, they're probably saying the same thing. The future's over and the future ain't that bad. So there'll be a way it will work out. I just have to instill within them the same values I have and they'll find a way to work it out and, and hopefully they'll be okay. Hey, but but you always say the future looks bright. I mean, you must be concerned. You've got four kids. I would have 20 more right now if I could. I would have 20 more kids, right? I don't know how you feel about it. I'd have 20 more kids right now if I could. Absolutely, absolutely love children. There's nothing bad about having children. The only thing I wish I did is start earlier. It's the only thing. The only thing I wish I did was start yeah, Well, listen, right now, I don't know if you know, if you need some inspiration, there's this guy named Al Pacino. <laughs> I saw that. Who had a kid at 82. I saw that. And was 29 years old, and De Niro had it at 79. Wow. Well, So you know, it's never too late. You're never 36. too late. You, if you got the testosterone level of 32, I'm sure you can have 20 more kids. I'll be okay. Politics. Let's talk politics with uh, America. You're seeing what's going on with the election. Mm -hmm. One of the uh, <clears throat> vantage points you have is you're not there. It's kind of like it's your problem. You guys deal with it. Yeah. I'm over here on this side. From your perspective, YouTube comes out. Hey, all the election stuff you guys talked about, that we would ban it and take it down, you guys can talk about it now because we want a balanced argument from both sides. Okay, no problem. Um, who do you see? What, do you, what are your thoughts on the, uh, Trump today, 2024, DeSantis, Biden? How do you see this thing panning out? Politics is, is, is so interesting. It's, it's so messy. I mean, obviously, I'm a Trump supporter. I believe in Trump. I like DeSantis and the things he did. I, I'm not going to choose between Trump or DeSantis. I think if one of them won, if any of them won, it would be fantastic for the world. I think YouTube taking a back step is actually extremely important symbolically. It'd be interesting to see if they keep that up post this election, seeing what happens with this election. That'll be very interesting. Uh, but I think it's certainly a massive symbolic step back. I remember when I got canceled, nobody talked about Rumble. Nobody talked about Kick. Nobody talked about even you got Valuetainment. No disrespect. You were a lot smaller then than you are now. Of course. It's crazy how fast alternatives have popped up. And I'm only saying this because I do feel like I literally said, I remember my exact words. I said, there's pressure behind the dam. Everyone's tired of it. All it takes is a crack. And when there's a crack, there'll be a flood. And the crack in the dam will be a man who is more famous once he's canceled than he was before he was canceled. That's what I said. Now they're trying to put me in jail, which is making me more famous again. And I'm not saying it's all because of me, but I'm saying there's definitely a public consciousness switch where the, the arbitrators of truth are having to backstep now. They, they've overused their power. They overstepped their power exactly like we said they would. And now they're allowing open discourse. So I hope that America has a free and fair election. That's what I'm praying for. I think every country should have a free and fair election, especially when we're going to fly fighter jets and drop $500,000 bombs on farmers who've never made $5 in their day under the guise of democracy. If we're going to bother to do that, then we should at least have a democracy ourselves. So I think a free and fair election will be interesting. And I think the will of the people should be done. And that's how America was built and founded. And that's what I would like to see. And I do think that America does lead the public consciousness overall as a whole. I know what you're saying about me being over here, but I do think that which, which side wins does have an overreaching effect overall on the entire planet. America is still the most powerful country on earth. It'd be very interesting to see what happens in 2024. We'll put it that way. Crazy question for you. He gets approached all the time. PBD, when you're running, when you're running, PBD. He goes, listen. <laughs> I'll vote for you, bro. Yeah, he goes, listen. Uh, I was born in Iran, made in America. I can't run. Well, when are you going to... But you were born in America, Andrew Tate. I was, yeah. You know, you were raised in, the, in Luton, UK. You lived in Romania. But you are an American citizen. I have no idea. Dream with me for a second. I have no idea. If you were president of the yeah. United States, Andrew Tate, what would that look like? 
I have no idea what it'd be like to be president, but I have a feeling what Putin said about the presidents might be true. Did you ever see what Putin said? Yes. Eight years, they come and go. Yeah. Yep. I've, been, I've seen three presidents. I've, I've seen a lot of presidents come and go, and they all come with these grand ideas. But once they get in office, the people with the briefcases and the dark suits come in and sit them down because of the strong bureaucracy inside of the United States and explain to them how things are done. And they never seem to get their ideas done. They never seem to do the things they said they were going to do. You include Trump in that? I think Trump tried his very best to resist that, and that's why he's in the situation. That's why they're taking him to court for no reason. That's why he was matrix attacked. I mean, if Trump's, okay, let's, let's cut the guard. I'm going back to jail anyway, probably with this matrix attack. They're going to try and kill me anyway. They probably are. If Trump's situation isn't a matrix attack, what is? What did they just hit him with in New York? Some de defamation for defending himself against a lie? Is that, if that's not a matrix attack, tell me what, what is possibly else. Anyone who's sitting out here who actually truly believes that the matrix doesn't exist has no idea how the world works. The media machine and the legal system work hand in hand to try and slander people's name and convince you enough, convince the populace enough that they're guilty so there's no revolt, so they can hit them with a guilty plea. They've already decided before all of it. It's all, it's all, it's all a plan. This many months of negative news, then we'll hit them with this, we'll get them guilty for this, and with this many months of negative news, the populace will probably swallow it. It's garbage. It's a matrix attack from head to toe. How much do you see yourself in Trump? And you use your words. First, they try to cancel you. He was canceled. Yeah. Then they try to throw you in jail. He's dealing with lawsuits. Yeah. Lastly, they try to put a bull in your head. Well, Trump's lucky because he's a bit older. So Trump, they'll try and outlast him. They'll wait. My problem is I'm a, I'm a bit young. You know? And I also think the reason I feel particularly at risk, and I, I say these things on podcasts to protect myself, and I don't want anyone to think I'm paranoid or crazy, because I, I, I really don't believe I am. The reason I think I'm particularly at lit risk is for the thing you just said. It's the masculine youth who are my fans. It's the 11-year-olds, 12-year-olds, 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds. They are the future of the world. They're the people you want to go and die in a ditch. They're the soldiers you need. Those are the people you need psyoped. You need them psyoped. You can't have a bunch of men who aren't psyoped. Mm -hmm. That's when you lose control of everything, when the men don't listen anymore. And they're all listening to me. And I'm teaching them things like God, religion, personal responsibility, accountability, discipline. And everyone's saying, well, why are they attacking Andrew for just telling the truth and making me go to the gym? Because when you have these things, when you have accountability and discipline and personal responsibility, you have a barrier, you have a parameter, you have a no, you have a limit. They don't want you to have a limit. None of the men are allowed limits. We must accept whatever we are given from our relationship with our woman, from the government, from our job. We're, we're just the slaves. We're, we're the backbone of the tax bracket. We just have to shut up and pay our taxes. As soon as we have limits, they have a problem. That's why they dislike the things I teach. What do I really say? What do I really teach young kids that's genuine dangerous? What do I say? Go to the gym, stick up for yourself? Stick up for yourself, go to the gym, you're allowed an opinion. Educate yourself, be smart, work hard. Believe in things, believe in yourself. Have friends, have strong friends around you. Don't listen to dishonest men or dishonest women. It's not misogynistic to say dishonest people. Non-gendered should be anywhere near you. You should have standards for who's your friend, standards for who you have relationships with romantically, whether you're gay or straight. You should have standards. Telling men to have standards is now wrong think. Because if, as soon as men have standards, they lose control. They don't want any man to have any standard on anything. They mm -hmm. want to come along and say, no, you need the eighth injection, take it. That's all they want. I think that's the saddest thing that's happened to you is because anybody that listens to your long form content, not 60 seconds on TikTok, fully understands that you're an advocate for male self-improvement. Absolutely. Get out of depression, work your ass off, be coachable, make money, yep. get women, yep. enjoy the finer things in life. Yep. But they will take the little things you say and label you a misogynist, label what, you a chauvinist. And that's a, the tip of the iceberg of minor things you say when you really are a male advocate. It's weaponized virtue. But also, you can't have an opinion on any kind of differences or differentiation without them now calling you a misogynist. If, 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 if I believe a woman is better at raising young children than a man, I would never drop my child off to a nursery run by men. I think that would be weird. I would never take my two or three year old girl and drop her off in a nursery which was male run. I would only bring her to a nursery which is female. No, would you hire a babysitter that's a boy? Neither, never. Am, am I, do I hate men? No. Like, I just believe that in war, a man should go and raising children, maybe perhaps women should go. I just believe in the same things that everybody believed in 10 years ago. Yeah. The world has gone nuts. 10 years ago, everything I'm saying was standardized and accepted and normal. And they're taking this misogynist garbage and weaponizing the virtue and trying to attack me with it. And they don't even believe in it. It's truly, it's truly upsetting, but I just can't be quiet because I don't know how I couldn't live as anyone else other than me. I couldn't live as a, per a man who wasn't trying to be his best self. Let, let's stay on this. So you said uh, uh, president, then you brought in Putin. Yeah. 
So then that uh, uh, discourages for somebody to think they can make real change. Okay. So two questions. One, if you are the president today, and I'm sure you've thought about it. Yeah. What policies would you attack? Right now in America, uh, I watched RFK. I don't know if you listened to the recording uh, yeah, yesterday. Yeah, yeah. What he said about the angle he would take with pharma. He says, all these things, we're talking about guns. He says, how is it that we have the same amount of guns as Switzerland does per capita, mm-hmm. but Switzerland hasn't had a school shooting in 21 years. Yep. We had it 21 hours ago. Yep. And we just had one last night, by the way, big one. I don't know, in Virginia, I want to say, right? Seven people yeah, seven people shot just yesterday, right? Every day, there's Every day, you're talking about fentanyl, you're talking about the drugs, you're talking about LGBTQ, you're, t- you're talking about military industrial complex, economy, taxes. What, what would be top three issues you would uh, attack if you were uh, president today? If the, and that's so interesting because before I answer that question, that ties back into what we were saying earlier about men's mental health. They pretend they give a shit about men's mental health. But if you come along and actually advocate and tell men how to be happier, I've been a sad man and a happy man. I am a man. I know exactly how it feels on all ranges of emotion. And I'll be honest with you right now. When a man is sad, yeah, there is an inclination towards aggression. That's how we're born. That's how we're evolved. We're evolved with that inclination towards aggression. We need that to protect and provide. That's who we are. We need that bravery. But having a bunch of depressed, sad men who have no emotional control is dangerous for society. I say this all the time. They try and pretend that I'm somehow dangerous for society by telling men to stand up for themselves and be masculine. Absolutely not really not. When you tell a man to have no emotional control and be more feminine, that's a school shooter. A school shooter is not a man with masculine accountability. He's a man who's told, act how you feel all the time. Then he gets picked on for long enough throw on some drugs on top his psychiatrist gave him, throw in a lack of a girlfriend, and he's had enough. That's where school shooting comes from. School shooting does not come from men being masculine. It comes from the absolute opposite of these things. And they know this. They know this very, very well. To fix society, we have to fix that at the most base level, the root level. I think America and most countries need more transparency and understanding of how things work. But when they're attacking the family unit, they're attacking all of these issues. Every issue you've just labeled all starts down, back down to the beginning. I really think the reason I would like to argue, and I don't know any of the statistics on this, in the 1950s, I'm sure there was prevalence of guns all around America, but there just wasn't the school shooting. Why? What was different? What was different in the years before that there is now? I think it's just because children obeyed their parents, and their parents were a family, and there was a degree of responsibility that was instilled inside of people, and there's a degree of accountability, and also there was a degree Great of honor question. and pride. Great question. There's a degree of honor and pride. Yeah. I- I'll tell you something now. I bet in the 60s, 70s, whatever, in any country in the world, people didn't want to do dumb shit because the family would be known as criminals. The last name would be tarnished. Their son did this. You hear what their son did? There was a whole, there was a vested interest in all of it. Now you have a school shooter who's going to go out there, be a piece of shit and kill people. And then their parents are on TV. Well, yeah, he was failed by the system. They don't even feel any shame. It's unbelievable. If one of my children or someone close to me did something that heinous, I would be disgusted. I would, I would apologize just for the sake, just for the name alone. There's no honor left. There's no pride left in the name. And this is what happens when you remove honor and pride from people. If you have no honor and no pride, nothing really matters. What matters anyway? It doesn't matter if you're out of shape. It doesn't matter if your kid's a piece of shit and a criminal. Nothing matters without honor and pride. And this is done on absolutely every level. I said this to Tristan the other day. I was actually saying we were driving. Well, the other day, long, long time ago. <laughs> I haven't left the house in a while. We were driving and I said, every, even on the most base level, I said, every building is ugly. Have you noticed that every new building is ugly? It's ugly. Tristan goes, yeah, it's all the same glass, big square, ugly building. In the 1400s, we built these ornate, gorgeous buildings. And now everything's ugly. Why is that? And well, I'll tell you why it is. It's because they don't want you to have any intrinsic attachment to a specific place. If, if all the buildings are beautiful in a specific town, you have intrinsic attachment to that town. You care about that town. You want good things for that town. You'll protect that town. You'll defend that town. What, what is that? That's a barrier. That's a parameter. If everything looks the same all the time, you'll just move. Who cares? Oh, they've messed up San Fran. Who cares? I'll just move somewhere else. Let's move somewhere else. It's all the same. Globalism, doesn't matter. It's all the same. Buildings in Berlin and New York, they all look the same. Where's all the beauty gone? When there's beauty, you have an attachment to that beauty. They want to remove all your attachments from everything. Even now, when they try and psyop you into, let's say, the, the way that models all look different than they used to before, right? Models all look different. Victoria's Secret. Yeah, and I was arguing this point. And someone was saying, oh, but that's because you have Euro- Eurocentric beauty standards. I said, no, I'm going to correct you because I know you think you sound smart using the word Eurocentric. And I'm going to correct you because you're a dumbass. <laughs> Let me tell you what beauty standards are. Beauty standards, by definition, for something to be beautiful, has to at least be unique. If everything is beautiful, then it's not beautiful. If everything's beautiful, 
that is standardized. For you to take a model who looks the way they look without any effort at all, and they look like most out of shape, uninteresting people on the street, you cannot call that beautiful because it's standardized, you can see it everywhere. Beauty means it must have been difficult to obtain. Whether it's a building, it's difficult to make because it's ornate, or a woman who's trained really hard to have a beautiful figure, that is difficult. Difficulty and beauty are linked. You can't have beauty without difficulty. You cannot show me another model and tell me that my Eurocentric beauty standards are saying she isn't hot, because that's not why. She isn't hot because she's made no effort. She hasn't tried, that's why. And they're doing this with everything. Everything is ugly, nothing has a standard, nobody has to try for anything, no parameter, no baseline belief of what's true and what's false. Everything's subjective. Your truth. No, there's the truth. There's no such thing as your truth. And this is an attack on every single level. They're assaulting us from everywhere. Even the buildings they build are assaulting you. So you can't even just drive through a town and go, wow, look how much energy has been put into this place. I love this place. I will not allow them to do it to this place. Now it's just like, ah, we can move there. Ah, let's move there. It's all the same anyway. It's all a Starbucks on the corner and a 7-Eleven. Who cares? It's all the same. Why fight? Why fight for any of it? This is, it's all done purposefully. I'm telling you, there's, call me a conspiracy theorist. Call me crazy. I don't understand why an architect would now decide, who hires an architect? I'm going to build a building. Let me hire an architect to come up with the same sketch of the same bullshit building, which is already existing everywhere. How much did I pay him? Yeah, what we're going to do is we're going to build a skyscraper made of grass that looks like every other one. Is that it? We did all this 600 years ago. We built cathedrals and now we build this crap? Why? Everything is on purpose. It's all a psyop. It's all a psyop. When they're putting these models on there, the psyop is you don't have to try. You don't have to try at anything. Don't try. It doesn't matter. Just don't try. Wait for the government. We'll give you some food stamps. You'll be okay. It's Participation trophy. It's slavery. It's slavery. When you need to do every single thing they say to eat, that's their end goal. That's what they want. It's slavery. They don't want you trying anything. Even going to the gym today is an act of rebellion. Even being in good physical condition is an act of rebellion. If I put up a photo of me and I'm in good physical shape, there are people who write underneath it, oh, you're dumb, you train so They insult you for it. Like, it's a, you're a bad person because you have standards for yourself. That's the level of bug man they want to get you to. Of course, these people will give up meat and eat the bugs and live in the pod. Of course they will. They have no standards. They have no self-respect, no standards. Of course they can live in an ugly building, a big, ugly matrix pod. That's all they want. Is it, is it somebody has to sell you on that? Or is it going back to conditioning? Well, what would it be? Is it someone selling you or is it conditioning? And, 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 it, and it goes back to my original point about the family. I do believe that the reason we didn't have so many problems before is because I believe the families had standards. And some, some cultures still do. I have friends who are Chinese. My dad, I cannot not get an A. That's just their culture. When my dad was still alive and he was teaching chess, my dad would charge four or $500 an hour for chess lessons. And towards the end of his life, he goes, all of my students are Chinese or Indian. Nobody else wants to spend money, $500 an hour to teach their kids chess. Only the Chinese and Indians will spend that money to make sure their kid is that good. So that, that's it. They're the ones who invest the most in their children. They still care on that level. But most families don't wake up and go, ah, I want my children to act a certain way for the legacy, for the family name as a whole. I'm instilling standards upon them because of the last name. My entire life I've had standards in, instilled upon me. My entire life. Your last name's Tate, you can't do that. Your last name's Tate, you're not allowed to do that. Your last name's Tate, hit him back. I've been like that my whole life. And now we've removed all standards from everybody. This is why you get school shooters. These school shooters should be too embarrassed to even embarrass their fathers. They should wake up and go, I would never do this to my, to my family. And I'll also, this is definitely gonna get me canceled, but I'm gonna say it because it's true. I'll say it by extension for suicide. I don't care what you do to me. I'm Andrew Tate. I cannot kill myself. I can't. I'm not allowed. It's against, it's against the creed of my last name. I didn't have ancestors who suffered how they suffered, who went through what they went through for me to be born to kill myself. That's not why, that's not the end of my story. I refuse, I absolutely refuse. No matter how bad it gets or what bad situation I'm in, I refuse to do it because I have too much respect for my last name. I won't do it. And I, and I think that a lot of things, a lot of men's mental health, a lot of crises can actually just come back to the old adages of honor. And, and you can fix a lot of it. Your girl left you, you miss her. I get it, we've all been heartbroken, she's with a new guy, you're upset, she doesn't care, you care, I get all of it. But, there has to be a point where you get to a level of pride and you just go, that's not who I am. I lost her, that's life. 
You just got to get on with it. And the best way is to have, where do you find the strength when you're in these difficult situations? I always find the strength from, from my last name. I'm Andrew Tate. I'm agitate, so I just have to do it. I'm in a Romanian jail cell. I wake up, there's cockroaches in, in my bed. They're all over my face. What am I gonna cry? Well, am I gonna bitch out? Am I gonna go and sign a piece of paper and say I'm guilty? I'm gonna sell my brother out? Is that what I'm gonna do? Am I gonna go fucking lie and, and, put these, and sell the girls out like they want me to? Am I gonna stand up and say I'm sorry for, for saying go to the gym like a pussy? No, I'm gonna take the cockroaches off my mouth. I'm gonna do some push-ups, because I'm Andrew Tate. When shit really gets hard, Honor and courage and bravery and your last name is all you've ever had. It's all you're gonna have. And it used to be like that in the olden days. That's why no one did this dumb shit. They were just too embarrassed to even do it. And this is why you're saying, how do we fix the country? Absolutely all of it comes down to the fact that, especially with men, none of them are bestowed with the things that the masculine essence needs to be a good man. 